Well, hey, everyone, here we are for this week's episode of The Boundless Show, and this is Lisa Anderson with you. I was just thinking the other day, like, how many episodes of The Boundless Show, because this is 8.04 this week, I have not hosted, and I honestly think it is one, possibly two. So what in the world? That's really wild. But it's only possible because I always have amazing guests and amazing listeners. So um, it's just weird to think that through preview of what's coming up on the show. Later on for our inbox, we have a listener who is wondering if an addiction to coffee is actually sinful. Um, This is a very hard question to answer, and I'm going to answer it. So stay tuned for that. And then for our culture segment, are you struggling with wondering if you're ever going to get married? It's that tension of trusting God and being willing to wait. Well, Gary Thomas, who is certainly an expert on relationships, is back with us to discuss how to have hope for a future marriage, if that's what God has for you, and how to be faithful and confident in the waiting season. So if you or someone you know is feeling discouraged, please hang in and stay tuned for that. Okay, for our roundtable today, though, we want to have a conversation on roommates, um, specifically how to get along with roommates and how to have good roommate experiences. Because Not everyone is me who is basically the perfect roommate. I mean, it's like if everyone could have me as a roommate, it would be like, why are we even having this conversation? But I had to bring some average people in who have been average roommates to really give (laughs) you guys encouragement of what this looks like for normal people. So please welcome with me, Kristen, Braden, and John. You guys, hello. Good to have you here. Thank you. Hello, hello. Okay. Um, We're going to talk about roommates. It is so funny. I've had like, yeah. We'll get into my roommate experience, and I've got a very um, a great roommate right now, housemate. But talk a little bit about your roommate experience from the past, or do you have current roommates? What what kind of has been your roommate journey, <laughs> Kristen? Why don't you begin with us? Okay, we're gonna forgive you for your voice. We Thank know that you. it's, you're a little bit hoarse. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so in college, I only had one roommate because my we did the random assignment of roommates and so I was supposed to have this one girl she never showed up so first semester I had no roommate and then my friend moved in and then we were roommates for all of college so that's pretty unique and exciting experience and then when I moved out to Colorado I moved in with two girls I'd only met once one is six years older than me one is 11 years older than me and at the time we had four animals now we have three and so I also have lots of you count them as roommates pets well I don't count them them? as roommates but they do count as living things in the home they take up that I have to live with so (laughs) that's good John what about you so I currently have one Um, his name is Eric he's actually been on the show once before he's a really really good chef yeah but I in college I had chose him yeah, <laughs> that was one of the perks. Okay, um, we we met by chance, okay. so um, it wasn't necessarily a selective choice per se. But it should we, be, we, quite we, frankly. Yeah, but no, he's cool. Um, in college, I had three roommates. One I had for two years. He and I are still really, really good buddies. And then right before I moved out here, I roomed with two other guys for about six months, and they're still some of my best friends. I'm actually going to be in one of their weddings mm. coming up later this year. Mm. And then since I moved to Colorado, I think I've had probably about six. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I lived in a house that had a number of different guys in it. Mm-hmm. So, And the 
that homeowner got married eventually. So okay, and but, kicked the rest of you out. Yeah, <laughs> he he had a new Rough. roommate move in. <laughs> yeah. His wife. He's like, yeah, we're done. Okay, <laughs> good. All right, Braden. Yeah, um, I yesterday was kind of thinking about how many roommates I've had in total. I've had twelve wow. since freshman year of college. So my freshman year, I had four, I lived with four other guys. So that was interesting that was definitely kind of a cluster at times um but <laughs> cluster yeah. headache or what <laughs> a little bit like, yeah. okay um, got it no they were all amazing dudes and i was super blessed to room with them for a year but yeah after that i had one roommate every year of college and then i'm currently living with two of my best friends from high school which mm-hmm. is awesome and then one of my roommates got deployed to jordan he's in the military wow. and so another friend from high school took his spot and moved in. So, okay. so yeah, 12 Man. total. Okay. Yeah, I have had, um, I had two different roommates in college who were very different from each other and very different from me. So that was really an interesting growing experience. <laughs> um, then I have had um, some whack solo roommates. And then I've had a couple group like in a house um, when I lived in Minneapolis, I lived with a group of girls. Um, And that was great because I feel like the group dynamic helps like you're never like the other person's just only person, you know, for like talking Mm, to them and problem solving and all that. So the dynamic of like having multiple people on the case was was super great. Um, And then now I've had the same roommate for a while other than my mom who lived with me, too, which was alternatingly good and hard. Um, (laughs) But yeah, but now I've had a roommate. for a while though we have kind of our own space you know in our house which is helpful because you know we're both pretty like strong personalities so okay what would you guys say let's just get straight into like success here what if what would you say has been some of the key factors for getting along well with your roommates what have you learned over time as far as like how to make this work so no one is you know completely devolving into tears or (laughs) rage or whatever (laughs) I have definitely found that having common values is a good thing for mm-hmm. sure. I have been in really, really blessed, honestly, to not have a bad roommate experience. A lot of my friends sadly have, but all the guys that I've roomed with have been believers. But um, at the same time, just because somebody's a Christian is not a guarantee that you're going to have a great roommate experience. I have friends who I love, guy friends who I could be great friends with, but we just would not get along in a living space. Mm -hmm. So having common values, but also when you have discussions on hard things, say about politics or say about current issues, or um, I remember during the pandemic, we were home a lot. And so we were kind of in each other's space a good bit. And it's so important that even if you disagree about certain stuff to just be respectful, because one thing that's unique about a roommate is you're going to have to go back to the same home mm-hmm. or the same living space. Mm-hmm. It's true. I would say something that I have just noticed that creates successful environments, just whether it's with roommates or with friends or anything, is just spending quality time together. Mm-hmm. Um, something that my roommates, my freshman year and I, we did was we would watch a movie and we made it a little tradition. We would watch a movie and go get a $5 Little Caesars pizza. Mm. Um, And that was always just like a fun little time just to make sure that we were spending time with one another and just having that intentional time aside from our busy lives, so. Mm -hmm. I'm budget friendly, so that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I've found that shared activities and um, stressful situations can do good things for bonding. So my roommates, before I moved in with them, had a crazy 
roommate that helped them to get along because they had like a common enemy almost and not an enemy is a strong word but um <laughs> mm-hmm. and then also they went on a hike and the sun set before they finished it and they ended up sleeping under a tree in the woods oh, so that helped really bond them right and then recently we took a trip and to europe and got lost we missed our train in germany and so then that helped us bond you know and so i think those have been good opportunities for all of us to gain better communication Um, but then also just shared activities whether we're like okay we're going to do a brunch this saturday or this day we're going to clean out the garage all of us together we're going to go on a hike or we're going to go camping um, just so that it's the three of us together and because we are in different life stages we don't share very many friends we all go to three different churches we don't share friends really um and so finding those intentional times that it's just the three of us together is really helpful yeah that's good yeah as i was thinking about this i was thinking to myself how even on a practical level i think going into a situation with like setting some expectations is good because if you go in and you have a roommate who's like we're going to be best friends, we're going to spend all of our time together, we're going to do blah, blah, blah. And you're kind of like, actually, I kind of have my own friends, or I'm going to be doing other things. You know, you have to get on the same page of like, what are the expectations of each other and of the roommate relationship. Um, Also, I think organizing and having expectations around schedules and even like getting granular to like chores and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Because I know with my roommate and I, I'm super high, like controlling of like the environment. (laughs) I'm going to say like I'm over I'm a control freak about like stuff being clutter free and being whatever and she's much more utilitarian so those have been hard conversations around like (laughs) lots of stuff on the table still (laughs) anyway so it's very character building in that sense so to that point what would you guys say are some of the biggest friction points I mean that clearly is an example for me of just having different priorities of how the space should look how routines should go whatever but what have you found have been different difficult things to navigate in roommate relationships as far as like, yeah, this is pretty tricky. I thankfully have not experienced this, but I have a lot of close friends who have. And actually I'm thinking of a guy that lived on our hallway in college who this was a big struggle for him and that's cleaning. Mm -hmm. So many times if a guy is not clean at all, I mean, I'm willing to compromise a little bit. I mean, if he didn't make the bed, I'm not going to, not going (laughs) to make his own bed. I'm going to throw a fit. That's not going to happen. But if it's so bad that you walk in the room and it just smells terrible (laughs) to a point that you'd be embarrassed for company. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, that would definitely be something that I would um, raise a flag about and say, hey, we probably need to deal with this. Yeah, that's good. I think it's a, for me, it's a respect thing. And whether that's unmet expectations that you've already set up, like this is what I expect with cleaning the house or um, tidying up the main living area, like something my roommates and I, my current roommates and I uh, just talked about is we don't care what your room looks like, what your private area looks like, but as long as the main area Mm -hmm. is clean and tidy. Um, And I think something that, causes friction for me is just when that's not respected things that you've talked about and Mm -hmm. it all just comes to um an idea of growing with one another and making each other better Mm -hmm. um and when there's not a desire for that then that's kind of frustrating so yeah Yeah. in my experience my roommates are older than me um so they're more established and then they also lived together in the house that we're in for five years before i moved in Mm. um so for me the biggest friction has been lack of communication 
on my part primarily, but then also how do I even find a space in the home? Um, How do I contribute to the feel because everything's been established for so long. So that's kind of been the challenge for me living with these roommates in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is hard. And I think when it comes down to expectations, even around like um, thinking through like who, where, like where did stuff in the home come from? So if you have different, you know, like who has, or, you know, weird things like small detail things like fridge space or do you guys share milk do you share because I mean if you're like in a house with five roommates not everyone can have a big old gallon of milk sitting in the fridge you know so you have to have these conversations and then it becomes like okay you're drinking way much more milk than the other person Mm -hmm. and it is funny it kind of just goes to play into like our our sinful natures of like territorialism and what we think Mm -hmm. is fair and our sense of justice and stuff like that so again I think it all those little like small nitpicky things I think can get tricky. What do you guys do as far as like time? I mean, do you have like night owls versus morning people that you've lived with or how? Cause I feel like that's been a weird <laughs> thing too for me in the past is like, um, you know, and then I get really judgy. I'm like, well, I don't know. It's a work night. Are you really going to start a movie at 2 AM? That seems a little odd. And then oh I'm gosh. like grandma, you know, with, <laughs> with roommates or whatever. How have you guys experienced that? When I first moved in, my roommates were like, you, I don't know how you run at this pace. And I, we never see you. You're never home. And I'm like, well, I just hanging out, you know, and especially coming right out of college, very big differences. I was still like, I can fill up every minute of my day and that's great. (laughs) And they were like, I really like to watch movies most nights, you know, Mm. and so just very interesting, the different standards but if I'm not home they leave a light on and that's nice yeah that's so funny you say that because I noticed how I started getting weird like with my roommate because you start you start having expectations or you start establishing patterns and then you get mad like if the other person breaks that pattern even though you didn't decide that this was the pattern Mm. so like for example she you know she'll get home from work at like six and then the other night I was like, oh, well, let's start this show or whatever. And she's like, oh, I think I'm going to, I'm starting a thing where I'm getting to bed by eight. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like an hour and a half after you get home. Like, how do you even live your life? And then I'm just like telling her what to do and stuff. And so needless to say, we had to have a little conversation about my <laughs> control freak nature of her own time, yep. you know, that she could choose what to do with. So that's so me. But I don't know. How about you guys? the time balance element? I would say for me, that's never really been something that bugs me too much as long as you're not intruding on my my schedule, my personal time. Mm-hmm. For example, in college, I think my sophomore year roommate, he would stay up super late and play video games. And we were both baseball players, so we were both on the same schedules, but I had an 8 a.m. class Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So that was just always so frustrating because um, he would keep me up. So, but that was just something I had to express to him and just be open and honest about that. And mm-hmm. he worked on it. And that was, that goes back to the respect mm-hmm. thing. That's and cool. I really, yeah, that meant a lot to me. So, well, and isn't this like why people have earbuds and stuff? Like, what are you talking about here? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. You'd yeah. think that he clearly wanted to include you in the experience. So <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry for you, Braden. But I don't know, John. It worked, about, out. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, exactly. How about you, John? My answer is kind of similar to Braden's as far as just personal space and respect that it's really not been too much of an issue. But in college, my three roommates, for the most part, were night owls, which was good because I was two at that time. And we all 
shared a room together. So I have found now having my own room actually makes this way easier. As long as a guy is not blasting music at two in the morning and Mm -hmm. yelling at the TV about his sports team, that Mm -hmm. it's usually not that bad because, hey, I can go back to my room and (laughs) Mm -hmm. just put my headphones on. And um, But I I think it really goes back to communication. Mm -hmm. And the better communication you have about when you're going to be home, when you need to be on the job, those things uh, make a huge difference. As long as you're communicating clearly, even if it's just a simple text that says, hey, I'm going to be out late tonight because I've got this event to go to, that goes such a long way as far as respect. And it's when it's not communicated that regardless of when people are going to bed and such that I think it becomes much more difficult. Yeah. And and realizing that you are sharing a space, so you do have to have a give and take in that. It's not like just choosing to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. I know mm-hmm. I've had to do that with my housemate and I because we have a large TV downstairs. And it's like anytime, I mean, we have very different tastes in entertainment. So like there are some things we just have to do solo because it's not going to happen. Yeah. So anytime I'm about to watch a Hallmark movie, she's going to drive to another state. It's not even going to be not, she can't even overhear it and maintain her sanity. Likewise for me, the minute she gets into like weird sci-fi stuff, I'm like that all of a sudden I'm like the, an alien is going to come out of the woods and it's going to be really stupid. And I don't know why you're, you know, so it's just, like so we've just had to realize that okay let's let her have her time and then I'll have my time and whatever so okay so not this shouldn't necessarily happen around things like sci-fi versus hallmark but (laughs) when real things come up real conversations hard conversations have to happen how have you navigated those like is it (laughs) because this is just like life this is adulthood (laughs) this is like getting along I mean this is why people like think they're just going to get married and it's all going to be easy or whatever because oh we're married so we can just have amazing conversations no you can't this is a skill people so a lot of this can be learned through having roommates conversations how do you guys do it not well most of the time (laughs) okay well that's good you're just out at all hours so you don't have to have the conversations they leave the light on okay no um for me I tend to get I can get annoyed pretty easily over really small things that aren't important um so then I'll think about them I'll pray about them and I'll really reflect am I just being selfish or greedy in this situation. If it keeps persisting, then that's when I'll typically bring it up with my roommates. I think they might do conversations differently and that as soon as they feel it or sense some kind of issue, they might bring it up. Because recently a conversation happened where I said, I've been feeling this way for a little bit. And they're like, well, I had no idea you didn't tell me. I was like, oh, well, because I didn't want to bring something up if it was actually my fault and I was the one who was just being inconsiderate. So that's been interesting just even timing of when to bring it up. That's been the difference between my roommates and I, but we're all working on our communication. It's, we're all very different in the way that we communicate. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes like in circles until we finally get to the main point. But yeah, yeah. that's good. For me, I would just say, when I think about Christ and his roommates, like the disciples in a sense, were his roommates. um, And he was very blunt with them at times. And this is what I see. This is what you need to get better at. I mean, get behind me, Satan is a pretty harsh um, way to say that. <laughs> That's what you said to your roommates. It didn't work so well for me. Yeah. yeah. So, but just the point in that is sometimes you have to have those hard conversations yeah. and you have to say things in a harsh but loving way 
harsh isn't probably the best word, but um, just very blunt and attacking the issue. And I've just noticed when that happens that you leave feeling much better and mm-hmm. um, you feel like the the conflict is actually resolved and because you're getting to the meat instead of um, just kind of dancing around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's big for me. Um, obviously, there's an approach to that and doing it with love. But, mm-hmm. yeah, just attacking some of those hard issues. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, too, I have to ask myself in those situations, because I've definitely been on the receiving end and on the giving end of calling guys out sometimes. And when I look back on them, they were all good conversations, and I honestly became better friends with the guys as a result. But I think I have to ask myself an important question, and that is, and this is something I still wrestle with today, and it's, am I trying to be right or do I truly value the person they can become? Mm-hmm. Do I see something in their lives that's holding them back from becoming who God wants them to be? And am I calling this out because I love them and I don't want this bad habit or this bad mindset to keep holding them back? Or am I just trying to be right? Or in sometimes is the issue I'm upset about, does it really even matter? Right. I remember one time me and a roommate, we... Um, And he and I are still great friends now, but we got into a conversation over a political issue. And truth be told, we didn't have a lot of spiritual backing over this issue. It wasn't really something the Bible talks about. Um, It was gun control, by the way. (laughs) But we we had a difference of opinion on that. But I remember I snapped at him and I thought wow, I really didn't handle that all too well. But after we um, talked about it for a few minutes, what what the issue really came down to was the fact that we had completely different backgrounds on it. And based on our experiences, we had different opinions. But we were able to agree to disagree, and we thankfully talked it out, and it was all right. And at the end of the day, it wasn't something that I needed to end a friendship over (laughs) as a matter of fact, because we worked it out, we're, we're good. Yeah. It's interesting. I think that's such a good point because I've thought to myself as I've had various roommates over the years, how you have to, really in any relationship, whether they're your roommate or not, you have to break what I call the conflict barrier. You eventually have to get to the point where you can have conflict, open conflict with someone, and still, to John's point, preserve the relationship. Because if you can't preserve the relationship and work through conflict and be like, okay, walking away from that and and, uh, remaining friends, then you're just waiting for people to leave or you're waiting for you to have a way out and you're constantly running from people. So that's just like working through healthy relationship dynamics. And so um, I think on the practical level, though, one thing I would recommend is having conversations about stuff when you're not like in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so helpful to have like reasonable, rational conversations around things without having to point out, and this is why I don't agree with you on that, or this is why what you're doing right now bugs me. Um, And one thing I'm gonna recommend, because I was actually just thinking about this the other day, a friend um, did this with a group of us friends. There's a thing, you can just Google it, it's called the values card sort. Um, And it's really fun. It's like, 
there number there are a number of them and it basically are all these cards and they basically have values on them it could be you know neatness it could be <laughs> um fame and success it could be whatever um, and you sort them into your most important and your least important and then just have a conversation with your roommates around that because it's a great starter as far as like yeah what's really important to you and how do we honor what's important to you and how do you honor what's important to me and it's just a fun way to get to sometimes the nitty-gritty of things that really can become pain points in the future of um so it's just a fun exercise and it's a great little team building you know Mm -hmm. too so kind of a fun thing to do and then certainly especially if your roommates are fellow believers um spending time you know praying for each other with each other you know talking about um growth and god together and stuff is a great way to make that happen as well so um, but it's hard, man. So you have to look for the fun times as well, to Kristen's point of like, get some fun things to do. Um, but you guys, thanks. I think these are some great practical ideas for folks. So hopefully people can take them and you don't have to move out or spend twice the rent or figure that you can only live alone for the rest of your life. You can live with other people. So thanks, y'all. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, thanks for having us. Folks, we are here for this week's culture segment, and we've been doing a couple like twofers, and uh, you know, even I think we had a threefer a couple months ago with our experts when we get them in the studio because it's like, okay, here are these 12 topics we want you to talk about. And so then we have to narrow it down. So if you listened to the show last week, which you should have, you know that our culture guest was our friend, Gary Thomas. Uh, he is back. We Last week, we talked about books and just like the influence of books on his own life, what book recommendations he had, super fun. So you got to go back and listen to that. We're going to kind of turn a corner this week. And I promised him we're going to talk, not that he absolutely loves books, and you'll you'll hear him say that, you know, in, if you listen to that episode, but um, this is like Gary Thomas bread and butter that we're going to talk about this week, because we're going to talk about marriage prep in the sense of how do you stay hopeful for marriage, you know, to that marriage might be in your future when you have walked a season of singleness that you feel is longer than it should have been? How do you trust God for your future? How do you trust God for your past, quite frankly? And so um, many of you know that Gary Thomas is the author of Sacred Marriage, as well as The Sacred Search, so many other books. He is a teaching pastor here up in Denver at Cherry Hills Community Church. 
a recent transplant from Texas. We're so glad he came up here now. So, um, but he's been a faculty member um, at Western Seminary. He travels, he speaks, he writes, he does all these things. Gary, welcome back. Thank you, Lisa. So good to have you back. Okay, so we've got to break this down. I can imagine this has got to be just your ecosystem of life, like your last 30 years of what you've written about, what you've counseled people on, what this looks like. But here you have all these little perked up ears who are now listening because they're like, Gary, I told God that I was supposed to be married at 26 years old, and I am now 31, and I'm still not married. And did God not hear me? What is going on? Why, you know, doesn't God want me to be married? I thought God loves marriage, but all the guys that I know aren't asking me out and blah, blah, blah. And guys, we know that you have your own dramas as well. All these girls, they just don't won't go out with me, whatever. So we know the complaints. And the weird thing is that, you know, if we look culturally, we know that in the 70s, say, you know, so that our parents, even grandparents for some of our younger listeners, their generation average marrying age was 21 and 23 for females and males. It's now 28 and 30. So what is your explanation for what have you seen and heard about this delay in marriage culturally, where we are today? How would you explain it? And and I would say that, and I thought it was close to 29 for women Mm -hmm. instead of 28, but Mm -hmm. it's probably some months in there. But in places like New York, Yes. I've had friends live. They said nobody gets married to their late thirties. Yeah. I mean, they think it's just crazy. They, yeah, you, urban setting... centers much higher. Yeah, for sure. This will sound simplistic and reductionistic, and people will hate me for saying it. But I'm going to be honest here. I think a large part behind it is premarital sex. Mm-hmm. There was a time when you thought if you wanted to be sexually active, you needed to get married. That yeah. has been obliterated in the minds of most people, and even a lot of Christians. Yeah. I think if people legitimately thought they had to wait. They wouldn't wait until 35 to get married if, if they had the option not to. And so I think what we're seeing is an increasing culture of, of hookup culture where sex isn't a part of marriage. And so why do we need marriage? Because I see bad marriages or they see the downside of marriage without many of the benefits of marriage. And now even I would say it's not just sex. People think we can have families without being married. We don't need to be married. A a woman, you know, some guys, famous athletes could have 12 children with five different women. So they don't think, well, I don't need a wife to be married, to have children. I don't need a wife to have sex, but she might take a lot of my money if we get divorced. And so we've just We've moved a lot of the natural creational impetus to get married. I think that's one answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other one is, and everybody has said this, that we're just in, in a culture where we grow up more slowly, where they said adolescence is often pushed well into the 20s. When I look back at what John Calvin did, he was a famous theologian in 16th century he was reading Latin and Greek and 12 and 13 years old. And they were producing these great things because people died earlier. In 1900, the worldwide life expectancy was only 40. Mm. And even in the U.S. in 1900, it was only 47. Mm. So people got started a lot earlier. So we live longer. Um, we've removed a lot of what people thought marriage was about, having children, having sex, And so we just see the downsides of it rather than the benefits of it. And I think that's removed a lot of the impetus for people to 
to put effort into to getting married. Yeah. I know it was early on, I think, in, in the Dating Manifesto when I wrote it that I shared the story of my sister's father-in-law whose own father died when he was young and they were farmers. And so at 17, he took over the family farm and they moved in his grandma and his great aunt. And so with his mom and grandma and great aunt, they ran the farm and raised the little kids and all of that. And it was just... He never backpacked across Europe. He never dabbled in various jobs. He never became a YouTube influencer. He just started running the farm yeah. at 17. It's an amazing shift that we've seen there. And, and um, Lisa, if I may, let me suggest a counter narrative. While the boundless nation doesn't want to just go along with that, um, I've been fascinated by a, a book Arthur Brooks wrote. He was interviewed by Jim Daly. Here, he wrote a book, From Strength to Strength, and he talks about the difference between fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence. And the shocking thing was how quickly fluid intelligence, that's the creative intelligence, it's why the Pulitzer Prize-winning writers and the Nobel Prize-winning scientists and the musicians create their best work in their 20s and 30s. You don't see, I mean, when is the last time the Rolling Stones have had a hit? You know, mm -hmm. not since well before Mick Jagger's <laughs> current girlfriend was born, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. it's just like, it, why? This is like me experience. telling my uncle why all his favorite bands are now at like state fairs and yeah. county fairs. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> that's and exactly they, it. And yeah. they can't hit the notes anymore. And yeah. and so if you delay your life, one of the things about early marriage used to be, okay, you get that taken care of so that you can focus on being productive in your most productive years. Mm -hmm. And so if you spend, if a guy is spending his 20s and 30s because he just wants to eat junk food and watch junk television and junk video games and have junk relationships and meaningless sex, he can wake up at 35 and then get serious, but he is given some of his intellectually most fertile years over mm -hmm. to what the Bible would call riotous, meaningless living that he'll never get back. Now, there's that whole form of crystallized intelligence that you hold on to. There are other things you can do, but you've you've lost the ability to have an impact that God has perhaps provided uniquely for you. And so what I, I don't regret for me about getting married earlier was I did kind of get a lot of that behind me, and I could focus on what I think God called me to do. And it's interesting, my, by far away, the best-selling book was written in my 30s. <laughs> and I think I know more now. I think I'm a better writer now. But <laughs> Arthur Brooks' thesis might carry some weight. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so to that point, I think there is this idea, though, it seems like so if, if we were to talk to our, our parents and our grandparents, I know I had this conversation with my own mother, it was just, it seemed like getting to marriage was so much easier in the past. Like people were just like, it was assumptive. It was like, you you look for a person that you think is the most quality person, you share values, whatever. Now it's like, it's become this thing involving algorithms and personality tests and background checks. And it's like, everyone is waiting for all their ducks to be in a row and for them to have all their questions answered before they can make the commitment. What would you say is the antidote to that? Well, change the whole view of marriage. I, mm -hmm. I mentioned sacred marriage, which is what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy. Mm -hmm. I think every marriage in its own way will have its difficulties. Mm -hmm. Marriage shouldn't always be difficult. Some marriages are less difficult than others. I do believe it's wise 
to choose someone that wouldn't be particularly difficult to be married to. But yeah. James 3, 2 says we all stumble in many ways. Mm-hmm. We all mm-hmm. stumble in many mm-hmm. ways. <laughs> so you could put somebody through a battery of tests. You're still going to end up with somebody that's going to frustrate you, disappoint you. And yes, sin against you. I'm not talking about abuse. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about being unfaithful. There are things you shouldn't put up with, but they are going to sin against you Mm -hmm. because that's, that's human nature. And so not having this vision that God can use relationships to grow us, to challenge us. We mentioned J.I. Packer last week where he just has this brilliant passage in one of his books about how we pray for an easy life, but scripture is clear. We grow through disappointment. We grow through crushed dreams. We grow through trying to learn to love unlovable people. Mm -hmm. How how do you grow in patience if your patience isn't tried? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you grow in gentleness if you're not having to be gentle? How do you learn to forgive if there's not something to forgive? And so, we want, we, we just, I think, have a faulty understanding of how we grow, a faulty understanding of relationships. Um, we think that this person is designed to make us happy instead of holy. And, and you know, I, I don't think happiness and holiness are mutually exclusive. I believe pursuing holiness is what preserves happiness. It's a whole different conversation. But if we don't pursue marriage for the right reasons, we shouldn't be surprised that it never seems like we find the right person because there isn't one right person. Mm-hmm. You're kind of, mm-hmm. you're choosing your blessings and you're choosing your crosses. <laughs> Whoever you marry, there are going to be some things that are really trying. And it might not just be sin. It might be somebody who's got a propensity toward depression and it hasn't revealed itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy, a couple I met, a guy, he didn't know he was neurodiverse and his girlfriend had suspicions and it wasn't until after they were married they realized, well, She's never going to have the fulfilling emotional relationship she might have. He's aware of it. He could address it, but he's got his own limitations. Or a couple that emailed me after one year of marriage, the husband had had a terrible accident and the doctor said he can never be sexually intimate again. She's like, Gary, I'm in my 20s. I like this part of marriage. What am I supposed to do? So this is a world where disappointments happen. Marriage doesn't remove difficult things. It gives you a place to share difficult things. Mm. Uh, and I think that's what we're choosing, someone to go through the disappointments of life with. Now, look, I don't want to be too negative. There are many joys and even <laughs> ecstasies in marriage, mm-hmm. but often we think of those without thinking of the challenges and difficulties. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So talk to the person who's listening, who's like, Gary, I am tracking with you and I I have your first edition of say, <laughs> sacred oh, marriage. And I, I have, see the cover. I have, <laughs> and um, I believe, you know, I believe that marriage is such a good thing. I want it. I feel like I'm called to it. I want to pull the trigger. I want to commit and whatever. But why is dating so hard? Like what is happening in yeah. our culture that we just can't make this happen and get it across the finish line. Is there, do you have maybe advice to what you're seeing and and couples you've counseled for like maybe a takeaway for men and a takeaway for women as far as like, y'all, here's where you need to chill. Here's where you need to take a hard look at yourself. Here's just maybe some straight up advice on navigating the dating space when people 
want to blame everyone else, <laughs> but maybe we need to start looking uh, inwardly a little bit. Well, let me first express empathy. Yeah. It is a brutal time to you try to get married. Express empathy because I didn't. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember being fascinated. I think it was five or six years ago. Philip Yancey. Now, you're younger listeners may not remember that name, but when I was starting out being a writer, he was the guy. His book release was going to be the book of the year. Hmm. Uh, I I got the gold medallion one year for a book, and my my thing to everybody was, well, I want to thank Philip Yancey for not writing a book this year, because if he had, (laughs) I I wouldn't have gotten it. And I remember him saying, I'm so glad I was publishing in the 80s and 90s when I did, because it wouldn't work now. Publishing has changed so much. I kind of feel like that for me in marriage. I got married just before culture really started to take a hard turn against marriage. So people are afraid to say they're dating. I I know guys at church say, well, I would never ask out a woman at church. I would try to find her on an app because I could be accused of being a creep or doing this. And and some guys are creeps when they go in. So it's, it's nuanced and it's difficult. I don't think it's ever been this difficult mm-hmm. to get married because there's just a lot of fear. People don't know the rules. It's like Calvin Ball. Mm-hmm. It changes every week. Mm-hmm. And so how are you supposed to keep up? You don't want to offend people. You want to show some interest. Um, and so let me just start out with that. I get it. I have empathy. It's not in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, culture has not been your friend. It has made it immeasurably difficult. But I would say this, go back to the writing thing. I, it, it took me eight years, 120 straight rejections before I got even an article published. Hmm. And it broke my heart. It was so hard. But it was worth it. Um, and I would say you could get 120 marriage proposal rejections, but if you're well married after that, You will look back as I did decades later and say, it was worth it to share this. And I've seen it, even some people I've met later in life that got married in their 60s. Mm. Hold your breath, listeners. I'm not (laughs) saying it'll be that, but some that have said, you know, in many ways, I'm glad it took this long, even though I wanted to get married earlier because I wouldn't have been with this person. And it's sweet at this time of life to enter that. So the good thing about marriage is the, ne- the door is never completely closed. <laughs> when I was back in Houston, there was this wonderful man who was true to his wife, Doris, who had Alzheimer's and half the time didn't know it was him visiting her. He was well into his 80s, lost all of his hair. His teeth were from an era before they used braces. <laughs> he stooped over but he could walk and drive a car. Mm. And so when he would go to the nursing home to visit his wife, they would flock around him Mm. like he was Brad Pitt (laughs) (laughs) or young girls at a Taylor Swift concert. I mean, and and I was just laughing. And and it was one time he he was just speaking with this glee because Doris recognized him and she said, hey girls, this one is mine. And it made him so happy (laughs) that something kicked in her brain and she realized he belonged to her. And so maybe that's depressing, (laughs) but but I'm just saying that that love doesn't have an expiration date until we die, I've seen that. And you only need one. You don't need to find 10 marriageable people. Um, You don't need to get 10 yeses. You're looking for one. It's a lot of work. I personally think it's worth it. 
Um, we spend a lot, I spent more time than you would imagine trying to get published. I know people spend so much time looking for a job. They will relocate. They will get a degree. They will do internships for free. And yet they think to be that intentional about meeting someone is somehow not trusting God. Mm-hmm. And I keep hearing different stories, Lisa. And I, so I don't want to tell people about the websites. I guess apps are more common now mm-hmm. than websites. Mm-hmm. Some of them can be horrible and they say, it's terrible. I don't ever want to do it again. I want to say every form of dating is terrible mm-hmm. in some regard. <laughs> I mean, first dates can be awkward. People being set up and they'll say, what in the, do you hate me? I mean, why <laughs> would you set me up with that? What were you thinking? So it's, brutal. I recognize that, but it's one of those things where I think it can shape who we are in the process that we're trusting in God. We're trying to become the best people we can be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no guarantee. Uh, there's not an equal number of women and men in the world. <laughs> and then when you talk about people of faith, mm-hmm. it gets even less balanced. Math alone says it, it's just not going to happen. But then I talk to others, and this this doesn't make singles feel better, but some that are in marriage and they found out their husband is severely ill or mentally ill or things that they're going to live with for a long time that will never really go away until one of them dies. So Mm -hmm. there is a pain Mm -hmm. and a loneliness associated with singleness, but there's pain and loneliness associated with marriage. And so I would say... I don't mean to be harsh in saying this. Don't think that this is unique to singleness. It's just a different kind of loneliness and a different kind of pain. But in the end, it's the human condition Mm -hmm. as we all have our hope for heaven. Yeah, it's so interesting. As you said that, I was thinking to myself, I I see some of this, especially in the just the common freakouts around dating in general, that because we're such a risk-averse culture or a failure-averse culture, and we think that everything has to move towards success, we can't, you know, if, if we have failed in something or if we, if just something doesn't work out, we consider it a massive failure and we're going to be derailed. That's why so many, I mean, even to ask someone for coffee is such a big proposition because, and I remember, I mean, I'm pointing at myself here, y'all, because I remember dating a guy, it was, it should have been apparent to me much earlier on that this thing was going to crash and burn. But my whole thing was, we're both Christians. I have a communications degree. We can make this work. If we just talk about it enough, this is going to be awesome. We're not going to talk about the fact that there are bona fide, like toxic behaviors here, or that this is just like, and it was just because I didn't want to fail. And when the, when the relationship imploded, I took it as a failure. And I thought I should have been able to make this work. I should have been able to, we should have been able to work through this. And it's just like, not everything, like you said, you only need one. Not everyone is meant to work out. And there are just, but some of them may be like actually problematic, like mine that I'm describing, but some might just not be good fits. And that's okay too, you know, because again, you're not marrying 75 people, you're marrying one. And so I think that's really good insight that you give about that of like, we got to be open handed and we ultimately have to trust God with the outcome because he can work around any limitations. Um, and he knows, you know, he knows. Uh, where we're where we're meant to be and what relationships we're meant to be in. So, okay, well, kind of as we finish out here, um, Gary, give me, you know, the, the person who then is saying, okay, well, but let me tell you, Gary, that my greatest fear in life is never getting married. 
Like, what if God tells me that I'm meant to be single for the rest of my life? Or what if I never hear from him directly, but just the decades go on? And and again, I can speak for myself here. I remember when I turned 30 and having to grieve the fact that I would never be married in my 20s, because time does march on. So we can say we trust God, but the fact is, there are still facts around this. Um, you know, and then I, then I turned 40. And I was like, Oh, still there went my 30s. So not married. So what about the sadness and the grief around just disappointed hopes of what you thought your story would be? It's really difficult for me to answer because I got married at 22, and I don't want to seem <laughs> insensitive. I've never been single. I mean, mm-hmm. getting married, just being single at 21 doesn't count, right? <laughs> I mean, to be honest. It, We're it, not it counting doesn't. it here, no. And, but I think this, again, that there are disappointments in marriage and there are disappointments in singleness. And I, because I work with so many married couples, so some desperately not want to be married. But I think it's recognizing the the human condition. And the best thing you can do to prepare for marriage is learn how to live with joy in the midst of disappointments. A favorite writer and thinker of mine on marriage is Dr. Corey Allen. And he's really challenged me with two things for a healthy marriage. And I would say this is brilliant advice for singles. He says, to grow as a person, you need the courage to ask, because so often we don't, and then we get passively, aggressively angry at a spouse or at someone because the spouse doesn't do this, or they don't ask us out, and we thought we gave a hint because we don't have the courage to ask. Mm. Life is about the courage to ask. I want this job. I want to become an actor. I want to date you. We just lose out so much. Mm-hmm. We, we kill so many things before they start mm-hmm. because we lack the courage. But then the second corollary is just as important because we won't do the first if we can't do the second. And the second is the ability to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. I, I talked when I was at Focus at Chapel about pure pleasure. What are those things that you go to when life disappoints you? Uh, I talked to a woman dealing with cancer And she just found something so comforting going out. She couldn't ride her horses, but she could go out and just pet them and feed them and spend time with them. Um, Others could be knitting. It could be going out on a motorcycle. It could be taking a cruise with friends. But realizing in this life, I'm still responsible for me. Mm -hmm. And so I need the courage to ask to make things better. But knowing because I'm asking someone else with their own will, their own initiative, their own desires. I need to be able, whether I'm married or single, to self-soothe. This is where I can go to have healthy pleasures that won't lead me to bad choices, empty relationships, addictions, or behavior that I'll regret and that will bring shame. Yeah, for sure. Such good, such good advice, y'all. Um, okay, folks. Well, that's all we have time for. I want to remind you um, that we do have Gary's book, The Sacred Search. Um, it's the updated, revised edition of that, available this week for a gift of any amount. And so you just go to boundless.org, search for 804, this week's episode. You just click on the book cover there. You give a gift, whatever you can afford to Boundless for the work that we're already doing here. And we would love to send a copy of Gary's book as our thank you to you. So Gary, thanks again for being part of this. Thank you, Lisa.
for our inbox and I have the privilege again this week of answering the question that came in from a listener and our listener is wondering is an addiction to coffee actually sinful why or why not and uh, this is such a great question I I jokingly said uh, as I previewed the show that I'm like ah why do I have to answer this you know I don't want this to be uh, sinful in any way shape or form yeah I think this uh, question was actually prompted the question asker even said that that uh, when I had my conversation with Pastor J.P. Pakluda around alcohol, this prompted them to think about it in terms of coffee. That was just last month. And he mentioned as an aside that for him, he's had to take a couple breaks from coffee because he so loves it and he realizes that it almost becomes kind of like a high priority in his life and in his morning. And so kudos to you for listening carefully and asking this follow-up question. So um, as far as an answer, um, like I said, Joe, I'm like, oh, how can it be? Coffee's amazing. Why would anyone have a problem with it? Let's just ignore this question altogether. But that's not possible. Um, What I want to say to it is that we have to identify, you know, if we're going to say that it's an addiction and we're going to ask if it's sinful, we're basically treading into territory here that would cover the concept of idolatry. And so um, I really like, I'm going to borrow from John Piper here, who describes an idol as anything that we rely on for blessing, help, or guidance in place of our reliance on God. And so um, that's just straight up, especially when we're looking for um, intel or we're trying to figure out calling or a path or whatever. But in tandem with that is the idea of what is a crutch for us or what is something that we prop up in order to endure, in order to sustain us, in order to, you know, with coffee, we would say to get through the day. And this is very similar verbiage that JP and I were using when we were talking about alcohol in the sense of um, it can become something that becomes preeminent or a little too prominent in our own life. And so um, I love to hearken to 1 Corinthians 9 here because I think it's a great opportunity that Paul takes to talk about um really what it means to be free in the context of him living as a believer. And so, because, you know, first of all, even inherent in the question, is a coffee addiction sinful? Okay, the fact that we're talking about addiction means that 
Yeah, it probably is because we're probably giving undue power and influence to something that uh, only God deserves. You know, that kind of um, priority in our life, that kind of importance, that kind of love um, of that substance or whatever. So I would say we could probably easily answer that, yeah, this could be problematic. But what's the solution to that? So um, in addition to reading through 1 Corinthians 9, which I think is, Paul touches on a couple of different things, but he touches on the idea of something having mastery over us. And so what I want to say when I'm talking about solutions here is this isn't like slap your hand and let's start talking about behavior management, because we know that behavior management is never going to work, okay? If someone puts a donut in front of me and they tell me, do not eat that donut, that donut is going to get eaten. Okay, let's just be honest. So it's not going to help for me to just will myself into something or think that I'm going to, in my own strength, be able to tackle this. But as Christians, the good news is that we've been given a new heart and we've been given a new set of desires. And so as a result, we have the ability to resist sin, whereas the unbeliever doesn't. They don't have uh, the new heart. They don't have the Holy Spirit. And so um, we have a freedom that is available to us that is truly life-giving. And so as a result, we don't have to let these things have mastery over us. So what does that mean practically? And I think, again, getting back to my conversation with JP about this, he just talked about like once in a while, he just takes a break from coffee. He has to because for him, that's just saying, you know what, coffee, you're not going to rule my day. You're not going to rule my week. You're not going to be something that I have to look forward to in order to be able to make it through this project or this situation or whatever. And so I think it's one of those things where, you know, you realize and and Satan knows exactly what's going to tempt us, what our uh, proclivities are, what our struggles are. And so you realize, yeah, this could easily become a problem for me. And I think it's helpful, especially in the context of Christian community, to not downplay it because some people are going to have struggles that other people don't have and vice versa. And so let's help one another in this journey to live in freedom in Christ, to enjoy the good gifts that he's given to us but to also recognize these are gifts. These are not something that we're owed, and they're certainly not something that we absolutely need apart from Christ to sustain us. So um, good job in asking this question. I think it's a helpful one. And again, you can fill in the blank. You can put alcohol in the blank. You could put food in the blank. You could put exercise in the blank. Anything that you think you need to look to or you need to have in order to have a, a healthy and a joyful life, if it's not Jesus, um, I think this question is a good one to uh, put into bear. So thank you so much for asking it. Folks, that is it for this week's show. Um, we want to make sure that you're following us on social. As you know, our intern, Valley, this summer is doing a lot of new fun things on social. So find us on Instagram at Boundless Team, or you can find us over on Facebook at Boundless.org. Uh, see what's going on, all the stuff that's coming up, and we will meet you there. I will see you around next week. It's Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. 
Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.